Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Barrio Logan is coffee, art, music, love, passion. It's a, a small place, but it's very nice. I like it. Okay, Barrio Logan is a great community, a great artistic community. Oh, sí, mucho, mucho cambia, mucho, 100%. Um, Barrio Logan is changing every day. Barrio Logan is community. Barrio Logan is empowering. Barrio Logan is beautiful. So, say the whole sentence? Okay, so Barrio Logan is inspiration. Barrio Logan is empowerment. Barrio Logan is culture. Barrio Logan is por vida. <laughs> Barrio Logan is home. Mario Logan is in trouble. Artists Anna Stump and Daphne Hill are cleaning up and breaking down their studio in Barrio Logan. They're moving out. They've been in the growing arts district now for three years, but their rent just went up. It only went up by a little, but it was enough for them to decide to move to a smaller, cheaper studio in nearby Golden Hill. It is tough to move in a way, it's tough to leave it. Um, You know, some things we're not sorry to leave behind, like, you know, the lack of parking, and uh, actually the landlords tried working on it, patching it here and there, but we do have a leaky roof, so a lot of my- It looks like a leaky roof. Yeah, (laughs) so uh, the last time we had a big rain- That's Daphne. She and Anna are also opening new studios in Los Angeles. That's part of why they're leaving Barry Logan too. Los Angeles actually sucks away a lot of San Diego's best artists. They go there to be closer to the collectors who actually buy art. Barrio Logan, the mostly Latino working class neighborhood that's tucked under the Coronado Bridge, has lots of art and artists and a growing number of art galleries, but it still doesn't attract a ton of collectors who are willing to spend more than a few hundred dollars for a piece of work. Daphne said some art collectors are still just too scared to go to the neighborhood because of its reputation for crime, deserved or not come and they they drink the wine and they eat the cheese and then you know thanks for the thanks for the party bye you know and just and not just me you know it's not it's not just my experience I, I feel like a lot of artists are, are experiencing this so yeah people buy buy art in LA it's a much more robust art community and um, Daphne is moving into a studio in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of Los Angeles Boyle Heights is actually a lot like Barrio Logan It's also a predominantly working-class Latino neighborhood that's attracted a lot of artists and galleries in recent years. Some longtime residents in Boyle Heights have met the newcomers with less than open arms. Community members have led angry anti-gentrification marches through the neighborhood, posting fake eviction notices on gallery and artist studio doors. A few galleries have been vandalized or tagged with graffiti messages, one that railed against white art. And one nonprofit art space even told the Los Angeles Times that they had feces flung at their building. That sort of tension exists in Barrio Logan, too, but it's not as bad. 
No one's throwing any poop, at least not yet. Daphne says she gets that anger. I do understand, you know, like if I see their perspective, I see, you know, I see where they're coming from. Um, I don't really, I don't know. I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know what to suggest. Um, for me as an artist, I always hope to bring positivity to an area and, and um, you know, I know that uh, the pri people get priced out of their home, you know, their neighborhoods and things and that's, I don't have a solution. <laughs> I don't have a, a, a sound bite for that. For I'm not gonna solve it. I don't know, do you know the answer? I'm Kinsey Moreland and you're listening to CultureCast, Voices San Diego's podcast focused on the intersection of art and gentrification in Barrio Logan. Of course, I don't know the answer to the big gentrification question either. But over the past few episodes, we've definitely established the downside of gentrification and the frustrations with it. So what are people doing to address it? What's working and what's not? Intimidating the microphone. How are you? Oh, a few months ago, I took my microphone and recorder down to Bread and Salt. It's an art space inside an old bread factory in Logan Heights. And by the way, it's worth noting here that a lot of longtime residents of Barrio Logan and Logan Heights consider both to be just one big neighborhood. Most of the old timers call the entire region Logan, since Barrio Logan didn't even exist until the five freeway was built in the 60s, splitting the community in half. Anyway, I sat inside Bread and Salt for an entire day. I invited community members to talk to me about possible solutions for how Barrio Logan can continue making room for the growing arts district without pushing out too many of its longtime residents. Are you yes, here? yes. Okay, so good. the necklace, the earrings. And just describe them since this is obvious. So they're bottle cap earrings. The bottle caps are come from beers that were drank. <laughs> actually at Salud, the restaurant located right across the street, so I asked them to save them for me. Um, and then they have different images such as Selena, uh, Frida Kahlo, um, we also have David Bowie, Prince earrings, so we bring a sense of the Latin together with the current. Okay. So, because we're both, we're both born here, my sister and I, and we feel that we cross both sides, so we bring both aspects of two cultures together in the stuff that we make. Um, so That's yes. Lizzie Rodriguez, who runs Chicanista Boutique with her sister Danny. They sell Latino-influenced handmade things, earrings, bags, and other accessories. And recently they set up shop inside the church, a new co-working space geared toward artists, musicians, and other creatives. The co-working space is on the stretch of Logan Avenue in Barrio Logan that's seen the biggest influx of artists and galleries and new businesses. But don't expect to walk by the church and find a traditional Chicanista boutique storefront. Yes, when you, when you say storefront, it's not the typical storefront. We have kind of envision a wagon wheel style cart. So we sell from there. So that way we're a little bit more mobile. We can be inside the church base itself or we could be outside as well. The sisters also use a room inside the church to host classes, everything from sewing to cooking or piñata making workshops. Lizzie owns a home in the neighborhood, and she's Latina, so in a lot of ways she could be the poster child for neighborhood growth gone right. She's proud to be an active part of the artistic renaissance happening in Barrio Logan right now. The neighborhood used to be considered a scary, crime-ridden place that not many outsiders dared to go. It's nicer now, and people visit often to see art, eat at new restaurants, or experience the other small businesses popping up there. But Lizzie's also hyper-aware of the downside of growth and development. 
So she's watching carefully as the neighborhood changes. I think change is inevitable. I tell my neighbors that live off of 33rd Street with me, change is coming. Downtown can only go in one direction. It can't go north. It can't go west into the water anymore. It can only come east. So change is going to come. But we have to be active participants in the community. The businesses have to be active participants so we can direct the change in the manner that we want it to go. I would always suggest instead of having outsiders come in and tell you what's going to happen, step up, attend those meetings, see what's going on, find out what's going on. You don't know the language? That's okay. There are people who can translate. Don't hesitate to be active because if you're passive, that's when things walk right out. People walk right over you. Things happen that are out of your control supposedly, but you have more control. We all We all have more control than what we realize. And being active in the community is going to dictate the change. And when that change comes, we can say, yeah, this is who we are, Barrio Logan. Before Chicanista Boutique and the co-working space opened in their current location on Logan Avenue, the space they inhabit now actually used to house a longtime neighborhood business that sold used goods. I remember walking into it right when I first started CultureCast and asking the owners if they would talk to me. But they spoke Spanish and declined to be interviewed, probably because my Spanish is so terrible. Anyway, just a few months after I walked into that shop, it was gone. The landlords had repainted the building and hung up signs advertising the space as artist studios. I asked Lizzie, Danny, and Ramel J. Wallace, one of the co-founders of the church co-working space, if they felt at all responsible for the loss of that little mom-and-pop business. Here's Ramel. Yeah, and that, that, is a, that is a tough question. And that's why we're definitely trying to give people opportunities, give people jobs that are coming here, because there's businesses that are here. There's businesses that are owned by people in the community, and they want it to be alive. They want it to be thriving so that the people that are being pushed can learn how to be owners. I have two points on that. First we are unaware of the relationship that tenant had with that landlord. Mm -hmm. So we don't know if that tenant was paying their rent on time. We don't know if there were structural problems that they had disagreements about that they couldn't find, you know, a mutual agreement on. So there's a relationship there that those two individuals had that we're unaware of. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what happened there. And then secondly, we are Latina women. So when people get worried about gentrification. I call it gentification. In Spanish, the word gente is people. So we are the people, Latin people, coming in a Latin area to maintain the culture. And maybe that's all she and her sister can do. Just be who they are and hold on tight to their space in Barrio Logan while they encourage their neighbors to try to do the same. John Morales is a commercial and fine art photographer who lives in Logan Heights. John shows his art in galleries and coffee shops in the neighborhood. And he's also a landlord who owns and rents out property there. Um, so I, uh, I've redone two properties now in this general area, you know, one in Sherman, one in, in Logan. And yeah, my properties look different. Um, and I'm proud of that. Uh, John's home does stand out on the block where he lives. He recently spruced it up, adding one of those really nice-looking horizontal wooden slat fences that have popped up in gentrifying neighborhoods throughout San Diego, and basically everywhere there's a developing community across the United States. 
The wooden fences have become symbols of gentrification. They have the mid-century design aesthetic middle and upper class people tend to like. They're also a quick way to increase an old property's curb appeal, while also providing tenants security and protection against the surrounding neighborhood, which newcomers often perceive as still a bit unsafe. John, though, did something pretty unique with his fence. He took photos of some of his neighbors and community members, printed them as large posters, and hung the pictures on the outside of his wooden fence where everyone who walks by on the sidewalk can see them. Yes, he says, he admits to being a gentrifier, one of the people moving into the neighborhood and changing it. But he says that's not a bad thing. So, um, you know, and now here I am coming into a neighborhood and changing it. But I'm Hispanic. I'm 100% Hispanic. Um, and, uh, and I'm proud of that. Uh, but I come from, I'm, I'm not a low income. I, I, I'm, I'm not low income. And so, um, yes, I am an agent of change. But I think I'm also um, respectful of the community. And um, with the art project that I did in Logan Heights, where I put the 19 photos of my neighbors on my fence, you know, larger than life portraits of these individuals, um, I think I, I help to empower and bring a sense of pride into this community that has pretty much been forgotten. So I went to one of John's art shows in Barrio Logan not long ago. It was there that he told me he actually wanted to print a shirt that said Gentrifier, a shirt that he'd proudly wear while walking through Barrio and Logan Heights. That might sound cavalier to some, but John has done some digging into the history of the neighborhood, which was once a higher-income, mostly white neighborhood before it became home to mostly Mexican-Americans after World War II. John says change is inevitable. It can't be stopped. So he wonders why people would want to try to stop it when a neighborhood's property value has reached its lowest. So when, you know, so often when people talk about gentrification, they're talking about a process of change. And as if it's this evil, horrible thing. It's like, well, when, you know, when do things, ch when does change stop, right? So if, if change is bad, when, when do we want this process of change to stop? Is it okay to stop when it becomes a very low-income neighborhood? Can neighborhoods only change from higher income to lower income and never reverse course? Can we only change from you know, white to black to Hispanic to some other ethnic, uh, segregated ethnic group? Or is it possible to have uh, multicultural neighborhoods? You know, is, is that, is that a, a potentially good outcome? I happen to think that multi-ethnic neighborhoods are, that's a positive, uh, that's a positive outcome. That's something that we should want. I think when we have multi-ethnic neighborhoods, it's good for everybody. Um, and I think to say that, well, okay, gentrification is bad because now, you know, uh, we're, we're changing the neighborhood yet again. Um, I think that's too black and white a view. It's not fair. John thinks when higher income people move into lower income neighborhoods, that they can be positive influencers of change if they become active community members. They can help demand better neighborhood schools for their kids, for one thing worthwhile education. I mean, you know, uh, the single greatest determinant of uh, the ability to afford the American dream is education. So, you know, uh, let's make the local schools better. 
you know, and there's no better way to make local schools better than uh, by integrating them. And so by having, you know, uh, middle-income people come into a neighborhood, they're not going to put up with inferior schools. You know. For John, who's traveled to dozens of states in an RV over the summer, photographing the country's diverse inhabitants, he sees how segregated and ethnically divided our country is right now. But he thinks communities like Logan, places that are beginning to become more and more integrated, he hopes those are the neighborhoods of the future. We live in monocultures. You know, we just, we tend to isolate ourselves with people who look like us, who think like us, who make the same amount of money, and it's, there's no diversity there. And I think life becomes more interesting uh, when, when we open ourselves up to diversity and, and new things. So I, I encourage it. You're listening to a performance art piece that happened in September at Bread and Salt. Local artists and curators provided a art disposal service, physically destroying works of art in front of people, making them question the value and role of fine art. All sorts of weird, exciting, and experimental art happens inside the doors of Bread and Salt. And some pretty normal things happen there, too. Our first priority is if there's a a direct neighbor that lives within a couple blocks, Mm -hmm. they generally can do the event that they need to do. And and that sort of thing? Yes, and birthday, just birthday parties. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of small group meetings, like ranging from 5 to 10 to 20 people. That's happening here all the time. That's James Brown, the architect and developer who owns Bread and Salt. He's loved watching the neighborhood blossom over the past few years. He says Bread and Salt has grown into a bustling art center quickly, but organically. They don't really advertise the space, but the creative people who need it end up finding it through word of mouth. There's an art school housed in the building, a design studio, a performance space, and a few small galleries like Ice Gallery, which has produced some of the best and most interesting shows in the city this year. Jim is getting closer to developing a parking lot behind the building into a mixed-use project geared toward housing artists. The space will include a gallery and a dedicated performance and meeting space. He says he needs to make the project profitable, of course, but he is trying to keep his units as affordable as possible. One thing Jim has been thinking a lot about lately is making it easier for people to build granny flats or accessory units behind their single-family homes. It's hard to build granny flats in San Diego right now, though. And Jim said at the heart of the problem is parking. Now they they require you, sorry about this technicality, but this is the world I live in. They require you to add one more. They require you to have the two existing cars for the single-family residence and then add a third car. So I am trying to push it through where we can remove the third car entirely and allow companion units by right. That would overnight have the hugest impact on the ability for people to afford to rent places in San Diego. He said San Diego city leaders need to rethink how they can make it as easy as possible to build new housing. 
I talked to Jim a few months ago, though, right before the state passed a big new housing law that will likely make building granny flats a lot easier. The new law takes effect in January. Cities do have some local controls, but the ordinance is much more permissive than most local ordinances, so it could result in some of the changes Jim would like to see. Hector Perez is an architect and developer. Correct. Uh, I'm basically what they call the canary in the barrio. A few years ago, he built a mixed-use project in Barrio Logan that he calls La Esquina, or the corner in Spanish. It's located at the intersection of Sampson and Logan Avenue, and it has an image of civil rights activist Cesar Chavez emblazoned on the side of it. It's a couple stories high and very contemporary looking, so it stands out on the block, which is filled mostly with older, smaller buildings. Hector calls himself the canary in the barrio because he's one of a handful of local architect developers who own property in Barrio Logan. But he's the only one who's actually built something new so far. The others, a group of his like-minded friends like architect Rob Quigley, who designed the downtown library, they still own property in Barrio Logan, but they haven't moved forward on their projects just yet. One of the architects, Joe Cordell, is getting closer to breaking ground on his new project, which will include a mix of live-work space, a 50-seat theater and soundstage, and an exhibition gallery. Hector teaches at an architecture school in Barrio Logan called Woodbury. He said he and the other architects once had a dream of building a design and architecture school in Barrio Logan. That's why they started buying up properties next to one another. But then Woodbury moved its campus from downtown to Barrio Logan, so they didn't need to build the school anymore. For Hector, one of the solutions to gentrification in Barrio Logan and Logan Heights is building more housing, and housing that both higher and lower income people can afford. In Barrio Logan in particular, heavy industry, residential, and commercial businesses all coexist closely to one another. Those various uses, plus the construction of the freeway right through the neighborhood in the 60s, have left behind a bunch of blighted junkyards, parking lots, and empty lots that are ripe for developing. There's an empty lot being used for nothing but storage just half a block away from La Esquina on Logan Avenue. I think uh, one of the things that that, uh, is clearly missing still in Barrio Logan is we have a lot of voids. And any new development, ideally, first and foremost, should deal with filling those voids. The gaps that exist between housing stock or or building stock are very disruptive to a community. And if we could figure out creative ways of filling them, either with edifice, building, or with program, uh, then we begin to activate uh, the community in a productive way without taking anything away. Caballero has been part of the Barrio Logan art and music scene for a long time. His long-running Caballero Latin Jazz Jam Night has enjoyed past residencies at the now-defunct Bowles Alta Art Gallery in Barrio Logan and other places in and around the neighborhood. The jazz night he leads is now housed at Border X Brewing on Logan Avenue. 
It happens every Thursday night and usually features a handful of local musicians playing improvised Latin jazz to big crowds. What do you like about being in Mario Logan? Um, homies, uh, unpretentiousness. Um, uh, I look out at, at my audience and I see a lot of brown faces, not that I'm racist or anything, but uh, they, they seem to appreciate uh, uh, Latin jazz. And I'm not talking muck Latin jazz. I'm talking Latin jazz. So they seem to appreciate it uh, more than any other audience that I've, I've encountered in, in, in San Diego. Bill says uh, he knows Barrio Logan is gentrifying, but he doesn't have much hope about stopping it. But the fact remains that uh, the Latinos are being displaced and um, they're moving uh, the, the, the forces north of Vader are, are, like I said, buying up the properties. Um, all we can hope for is perhaps uh, a mitigated gentrification, try to soften it a little bit, you know, uh, try to retain some of the, 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 the places we have. I mean, look at James Brown here. I mean, he's not from the barrio by any stretch of the imagination, but I have to give him credit for keeping that uh, that uh, connection going with it's important to him. And, you know, so there's a little bit of mitigation, right? It's a, it's a white guy that's got this place, but he's really reaching out and he's genuine. He's not. Bill like, says part of his mitigated gentrification strategy includes convincing longtime homeowners in the neighborhood to hang on to their property, no matter how much money is being offered. These people, a lot of times, they, they can't say no. But if somehow they can say, you know what? Living here is more important than money. And that's hard to say, but some people will say that hopefully. And, um, and, and again, that's going to help to retain the flavor. And then, and then there's the, the, the wild card, you know, the cholos. If they keep breaking into people's cars and accosting people, well, then maybe they'll stay out. <laughs> Bill says the last bit of mitigation will have to come from the artists who flocked to Barrio Logan in recent years. He says if they want to stick around they'll have to plant some more permanent roots. The only way that we can stay and not be pushed out is for the artists to buy their own goddamn building. You, you, you get a co-op of artists to buy a four-story building. Top floor, dance. Next floor, music. Next floor, visual arts. Bottom floor, uh, uh, auditorium communications and drama, let's say. And... All these artists somehow or another get this money together to buy a building or two. And they share the building and they say, this is what it's going to be and we're, we're, we're intractable. And if there was some way that the artists and, you know, artists, what? We, we have the luxury of living in poverty, you know. If there's some way the artists could could scare up the money and not with strings attached once again north of eight uh <laughs> but if if they could uh somehow or another just get a couple of big buildings and say okay boom we're here and we're not going anywhere that at the very least i'm not going to say it's a start that might be as far as it goes but that's like putting the print there of of the artist of the barrio of this neighborhood and they're not going anywhere and I think that that's the only way that we can stop gentrification or, again, like I said, mitigate it a bit. Yeah, that's genius. I love it.
A quick note to listeners, this is actually the last episode of what I'm calling season one of CultureCast. I'm going to veer away from Barrio Logan for a while, but that doesn't mean I won't circle back. I've heard from a lot of you guys, a lot of listeners, and the one thing I keep hearing over and over and over again is that y'all want me to do more. You want more episodes more often. So I'm going to try to do that in 2017, and I'll do it by opening up the podcast to any story related to arts and culture in San Diego. The stories will probably be shorter and not serialized. I think you'll dig the new format. Here's a little taste of the type of stories in the pipeline. I walked into a eucalyptus grove with famed composer and artist John Luther Adams, and he introduced me to his new sound installation at UC San Diego. So the 32 loudspeakers on these 32 trees, and each one has associated with it a motion sensor. Oh, it's beautiful right there. Wow, yeah. yeah. Is that because the sun came out a little bit more? No, it was just, just well, yes, probably, but it's just a little gust that, that's blowing through the grove, and you can actually hear the sound travel, right? Oh. Follow the, the wind through the grove. Oh, now it's quite, quite strong. Voice of San Diego's Culture Cast was written, edited, and produced by me, Kinsey Moreland. The script was edited by Scott Lewis, and Tristan Loper mastered and finessed the show. Voice of San Diego is a nonprofit news outlet. I hope you'll consider donating at voiceofsandiego.org. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, email aaron at vosd.org. And big thanks to the local band Free Action. They provided a lot of the music you heard in the episode. This is their music you're hearing behind me right now. Check them out online at freeaction, that's action with a K, dot com.